Welcome to the Zoe household. Our desire is to bring you to the consciousness of the God life that has been made available to everyone who believes the Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed as you listen to this powerful message by Pastor Ola Kiyosi, the resident pastor of the Zoe household Lagos. God bless you. interpretation uh, which is under biblical hermeneutics glory to God and um, last week there were two major things we noted we noted that one no scripture has two interpretation we also noted that no scripture has personal revelation you know we looked at um, second Peter's chapter 1 verses 20 you know which clarified that no scripture has any personal interpretation we also looked at second Corinthians 2 verse 15 which says study to show yourself approved um, unto God, a worksman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All right, and we said the word um, study there is what's the what's the Greek word again? Spardazo. Yeah, and it means labor to labor. All right, spardazo, which means to labor. It means to labor earnestly. All right, so we made it clear to us that when it has to do with interpreting the Bible rightly, it requires labor. You can never be, you can't always be quick in reading the Bible. If you're always quick, then problem. All right, there will be a lot of problems you know, in the long run because you'll probably miss some basic principles. Because listen, it's not your letter. It's a letter that someone else wrote many years ago. So you're trying to carefully understand it. So it requires patience. All right, it requires time. It requires what they call labor. All right, and we looked at... Um, some rules of interpretation. Last week we looked at how the first one which I said was that it's very important that we understand the mind, um, the nature of the person who the book is written about, which is God. So understand the nature of God, which is love. All right, very important. You must have an ideology of who God is before you actually go into His Word to learn about Him. And we know that God is love. All right. So as we're going into the Bible, we have that frame behind our mind. I'm seeing through the lenses of love. So, and I showed us with the example how that it should make us question some things which we see if, that, if they are contrary to the teaching or the knowledge of God is love. And we saw clearly how that many times people that said such statements, where their errors was that they were actually songs of their personal testimony. All right. They were not fancy because they didn't come from the words and the mouths of Jesus Christ himself. All right. We looked at, um, um, looked at literature, right? We looked at literature, we looked at the genre, we looked at, so look, that's for you, we looked at the genre, and we looked at um, the figures of speech, all right, the genre such as the poetic text, the prophetic text, the historical text, the genre, we looked at the simile, the metaphor, and the hyperbole, all right, and I know last week we looked into the, uh, what we call context, right, and we're still going to look a bit into context, but we're going to pick up from there, and from there we'll move to other things. Glory to God. All right, so still on that context, rule of context, all right, there are three major things to note. Three major things to note. One, we can't give a verse an interpretation without looking at the pretext, text, and post-text. We can't give a verse 
and interpretation without looking at the pretext, text, and then the post-text. We looked at examples last week, and we're still going to look at one example today again as well. Second thing to note is that words individually can have different interpretation based on the context of the verse. For instance, I spoke about grace last week. There's the salvity grace and there's the grace of empowerment, all right? And um, it, there's also faith as well. We didn't talk about it last week. So um, thirdly, third thing to note is that epistles were not written in chapters. So therefore, reading the whole book gives a better context than just studying one chapter. <clears throat> I know many of you have that ideology. Just read one chapter here, one chapter here. Okay, read it again. The epistles were not written in chapters. So therefore, reading the whole book gives a better context than just studying one chapter. So it means when you want to read the Bible in context, you can't read one chapter and you should be fine with it. You should read the book, which is the chapter is in. Remember, um, the chapters were included in the Bible many years after it was written. It was to help us categorize and better locate specific sayings of each, um, which the writer said and all of that. So, there are letters. All right, so I can't read a paragraph and I should be content to reading a paragraph alone. It's very important. I know the entire device say, you know what, maybe, and I'm teaching people, I'm telling them, today just read chapter, two chapters here, read two chapters there. But glory to God, by the time I came to understand all of this, I, whenever I instruct people to read, I ask you to read the whole book. I ask you to read the whole book, then I would then teach you the whole book. That's the best way to go about it. One chapter cannot have um, an holistic message in itself. It's the letter that carries the message. So it's better to read the whole book. For example, reading Ephesians, read the whole book. Colossians, read the whole book. Better context. All right, so examples on context. The, the first one will be based on the number one, which is looking at the pretext, text, and the post-text. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18. Okay, this one doesn't have a post-text. <laughs> but we look at the pretext. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 18. Are you fine with me? Okay. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 18. It says here, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed from what? Into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. A popular teaching. We have been changed from glory to glory. Glory to God. Can I get an amen? You'll be changed from glory to glory. <laughs> Why does guy say amen? So, so, amen. All right, so now I want us to look into the scripture and see that the word, first of all, the word glory in himself, it, it means the peak, the height and the praise of God. So what can be more than God? God is God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in the definition of glory to glory, it's actually not right. All right? So what could the writer Paul have been implying when he was saying from glory to glory? So we're going to look at the prefect, all right, to have an holistic view of what the writer meant by saying glory to glory. We're changing the same image from glory to glory. All right. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Let's look at from verse 5. I like today, you guys have to look into your Bibles because the screen is not on today. 
thinking, Joe, what happened to your, that laptop at home? You can't use it. Okay. All right, so let's read. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God. Verse 6 says, who also had made us able ministers of the New Testament. Mm. And not of the letters, but, the, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth and the Spirit giveth light. Wait a minute. So here, Paul is saying he had made us able ministers of the New Testament. So what would come to the mind of many people at times could be, oh, New Testament, the Old and the New Testament. So God made him an able minister of the New Testament and not the Old. So let's get this, let's make this clear. As I went, this was you know, written. There was nothing like the New Testament. What they had was the Bible, and the Bible only comprised of all we have in the Old Testament, right? When you're talking about Old Testament, what you're talking about is covenants, the will, the old will, the new will. That's, that's, that's the generic meaning of Old, old um, Testament and the New Testament. So when it was saying here the Old Testament, it was talking about what? The old covenant, the old will of God, all right? And then he said, he's made them able ministers of the New Testament, and not of the letters, all right, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth and the Spirit giveth life. So some people could deduce and say, now he's saying, but the letter killeth. What letter? Are you saying the Old Testament, which is the letter killeth? That what some people could imply. Oh, is that what actually kills? And I've heard a lot of people teach it a lot, but we know the letter killeth now. If you, are, if you have a child, you hear a lot of argument like that, but the letter killeth. What letter was he referring to here? The Bible? No. He wasn't talking about the Bible. Look at the next verse. Or let's start, let me start from, but the Spirit, but for the letter kill it. Let's start from there. The verse says, for the letter kill it, but the Spirit giveth life. Then it says, but if the Spirit of, if the ministration of death, written and engraving in stone. So he's saying here, the letter kill it, and it says the word, there's something called the ministration of death, written and engraving in stone. What was written and engraving in stones in the Old Testament, in the Bible? The what? The Ten Commandments was written and engraving in what? And that that was engraving in stone is known as the ministry of what? So when he says the letter kill it, what do you think you have been implying? The law, the Ten Commandments, that's what was implying, not the Bible as a whole. So we're saying what the commandments what? So yeah, we're dealing with what they call the commandments. And when he's talking about the spirit give it life. Remember, I said New Testament means what? The new view, the new covenant. What's the new covenant that God has established with the children of Israelites? That by through Jesus Christ, the grace and truth what comes to them. So you believe and you say that's the new covenant, not the law unto righteousness or salvation, but believing in Christ and Christ alone unto salvation. All right, so you had made them able ministers of, of this New Testament. All right, so but, verse 7, it says, But if the ministration of death written and engraving in stones was glorious, so this old covenant was what? He's saying the old, sorry, old covenant. The Ten Commandments was what? Glorious, right? So that the children of Israelites could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, countenance which was to be done away, all right? Verse 8 now says, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? That means, how shall it not be much more glorious than what? The previous. So now it's comparing what? The old covenant to the new covenant. So it's saying the old covenant, which is the Ten Commandments, is what? Is glorious. The grace and truth is Jesus Christ is what? Is even what? More glorious than what? Are you following, Cheesy? 
It's even more glorious than what? The old. So you say, both have glory, but one is what? Glorious. One is more glorious than the other. One is higher than the other. All right, verse 9 says, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Further emphasis on the exceeding in glory. Verse 10 says, For even that which was made glorious had no glory in respect by the reason of the glory that ex excelleth. Verse 11 says, For if that which was done away which was glorious, much more that which remained is glorious. So now he's talking about two different kinds of glory. Then he now says in verse, verse 18, he now says, But we all with open face, beholding us in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to. So, what glory was he saying they were transitioned from when you look? The whole to the glory to God. He said, When you look, behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord. It's saying when you behold the face of God, and the face of God is the grace of God. Do you notice that Moses never saw the face of God? He said, God, show me your face. What did God say? He said, the best I will do, I will show you my words. My back. There's no way you will see the face of God and you won't see his goodness and his kindness. Moses would have seen the gospel expressly from then and he would have spoiled the plan. What was it meant to be at that time? He would have brought it before time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Did we get that? Is that clear? Awesome. So context, when you look at the preceding verses, you have a clear understanding of what it meant in a particular verse. So I'm not increasing in glory. That only happened once when I received what? The glory of God. So who are we? We are the glory of God. Ephesians chapter um, 1, I think that's verse 16. It says, um, about, um, that if, uh, the, uh, uh, I cease not to make mention of you in my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto the spirit of wisdom a revelation in another dream. So he said there, he said, the Father of glory. Who is the Father of glory? So what does that make us? Glory. So are we going from glory to glory? So we have received the fullness of this glory. So all that happens to the believer, we don't increase in glory, but we increase in knowledge of the glory we have received. Do you get what I'm saying? We don't increase in glory. We already have the glory of God. What we're increasing is what? Is in the knowledge of the glory of God. That's what we're increasing. Very important. The knowledge, it means, it, it's, not, it's not that it wasn't there, that always been there. You just became more aware of it. Do you get what I'm saying? It just became more what? More aware of what has been in you, what has been deposited on the inside of you. Kapori kepele kapa. Give you and listen. For transformation comes, and your life will be changed, and you'll be made whole. See at the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. To the same time, let me just let me not say those things again. But we looked at the context of grace, good works. But there, there was one context we didn't look at. You know, that's the one of the chapters. All right, we just look at one. Alright, reading the scriptures in context by, you know, reading the whole book, it gives you a clear understanding. Alright, for instance, let, let's just look at, let's look at Ephesians. So, there's, there's this thing, so for instance, in reading the letter, if I read the beginning and I don't read the end, 
I might not have an holistic view. You know, so I need to read all through to really have understanding. And there's something you need to know. If you read Ephesians chapter 1 alone, you're wrong. If you read Ephesians chapter 2 alone, you are wrong. Shall I tell you why? When you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it started in a very amazing way. It said, it said here, um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1. It said, and you had he quickened. So, and you had he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So it started chapter 2 with what? And. Do you start a statement with and? So if you say and, what's he implying? You have been speaking, you have been talking. Then he said, and that's a continuation of what you have said in what? Chapter 1. So, for instance, so it means chapter 1 is not complete without chapter 2. Chapter 2 is not complete without what? Chapter 1. Let's look at chapter 1. Chapter 1 is not complete without chapter 2. For instance, you know, after he says that, um, let's start from verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. Let's start from there. When he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, the saints. Now it says, and the exceeding greatness of his, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us what who believe, what according to the working of his mighty power, what did he say next? Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right, then let, let's not even get there yet. So let, let's stop there. So now he's describing what? A person who is who? Christ. But listen, if you stop in chapter 1, you will not get the holistic view of what he was saying there. So from there, he's talking about Christ being exalted far above what? Principalities and power. But when you get to chapter 2, what do you see? Um, starting from verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, where it he loved, he loved us, he said, even when we're dead in sins, had quickened us together what, with Christ, for by grace are you saved. Then that's something so amazing. Um, in verse 6 or 7, that says, we were raised together, we were raised up together, yeah, we were raised up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So, chapter 1 tells us that what? Christ was highly exalted. Chapter 2 then tells us that what? We were we exalted with who? With Christ. So when Christ was exalted, we were also what? Exalted. When Christ was set on high, we were also what? Set on high. So reading the chapter 1 and chapter 2 gives you what? An holistic view of the two. Do you get what I'm saying? It does. So no one I says the other one being enlightened that you may know. So, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe when you raised? So we may that we may know. We have to know what is the secret greatness of God's power to also who believe. When, which he wrote in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in heavenly places. So, in knowing it is first that what is, to know it from chapter one is that what? We're raised up together and we're seated together. We've come to know that already. And after declaring that, you seem to have an holistic view. If you had read chapter two alone, you'd have read, oh, wonderful, we're raised up together with Christ. But it is possible that you didn't get the holistic view that what? We all have the authority together in Christ. Remember, chapter 1 was the one that defined the authority of Christ. So chapter 1 that said, what? Far above principalities, power, might, dominion, and everything that is named. Not only in this world, but in that which is to... So chapter 1 that said that, the chapter 2 says, no. So if I read chapter 2, I would have missed out the authority, but I've known we're together. So I just thought, oh, that's salvation. If I read chapter 1, I would have only seen what? Christ being exalted and the authority of Christ. But reading the two brings what? It brings an holistic view. 
So now it becomes a message, not just me reading a paragraph. Now I know that when the writer was writing, he was writing this to come to a conclusion of this in chapter 2. So combining chapter 1 and 2, I know, first I'm saved from the very beginning, all right? Then talks about Christ being exalted. Now I know in chapter 2, I'm also exalted with Christ. Chapter 1 talks about what? The authority that Christ has. Chapter 2 makes me understand that what? I also have that authority. I'm both talking about salvation. Because if there's one that says um, from verse 3, Bless the God, Father of the Lord, just God, bless us with us, which are blessed in every place in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the head, that we should be holy and without be for him in love. Then, chapter 2 was one that, that then told us that what? It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So you can see carefully chapter 1 and chapter 2 complement what? Talking about salvation and also talking about what? Our position in him. In Christ. So do that for, for Ephesians. Do that for Colossians. Cover that time, and I'll say we should look at Colossians as well. But, so we'll be able to cover much. Let's just move on to rule of audience. The rule of audience. Are you getting blessed? The rule of audience. All right. So, note, you may not like this statement. Well, I'll say it. Here it goes. The Bible was not written with you in mind. The Bible was not written with you in mind. It was written to a certain group of people in a particular region or individuals. However, we can learn from the books. That's why Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, um, all that are written at four time were written for our learning. It didn't say they're written to us. They're not written to us, but they're written what? For our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, not to us. They're written for. So it means if I'm talking to precious, there's way precious and I communicate, and there's going to be a mode of language. But eventually, if somebody listens to a third party, the person might miss out on some things because of my mode of communication with what? Precious. With precious. So it's very, very important. We need to understand that the Bible was initially written to a certain group of people, not to us, even though it is for us. So that means they didn't use our, our, our language. They didn't use our, um, our idioms. They didn't use our, you know, common ideologies of communications. They had their unique way of communication. So for instance, let's look at Romans chapter 1 verse 7. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. It says, to all that be okay, let, let me see what so you get there. Just trying to make sure I finish on time. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. Are you there? Alright, so it says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints grace and peace to grace and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ so are we clear on that so he said to all that be in rome beloved of god called to be so the book of rome was written to to the saints in rome the book of romans was written to who the saints in rome so it just makes sense when you're reading verse 16 this chapter, when, when it says that um, 
What do you say again? Really? I just need to remember the first word. Start from Romans. Huh? Romans 1.16. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not sure of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to us word that believe. Then it now says, first to the Greek. No, sorry, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. The testament does not make sense to me. It's so clear. You're saying the gospel is about God unto salvation towards them that believe. It now says, first to the Greek, to the Jew. Why am I saying Greek? To the Jew and then to the Greek. Where's the Nigerian? Where's the African? He's lost. So I could say, when he was talking about the gospel there, he didn't have me in mind. He was only talking to, if I, if I wanted to really interpret the Bible in the way some people do, I would say the gospel is not for us. Are you a Greek? No. Are you a Jew? No. Then this scripture is not for you. <laughs> Don't misquote me. <laughs> I saw one video, they misquoted the pastor recently. <laughs> it wasn't funny. So yeah. So, first to the Jews and then to the Greek. No, no Nigerian, no African, no American. Why? Verse 1 had made it clear. To the saints in Rome. So now, in Rome, where are those that you find in Rome? You find the Jews and you find the Greeks. So it said the saints. So it means the saints that are Greeks are those that have converted to Christianity. So it was talking to them as a whole. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So when he says that, we know carefully, he didn't write that with us in mind. He wrote that to some specific people, but we can learn from... So now we don't just say to the Jews and Greeks. We say to the Jews and then the Gentiles, which we know we are Gentiles. Gentiles is, when you say you're a Gentile, it means you, are, you don't belong to the tribe of Israel. Any stranger from the tribe of Israel is a Gentile. So yeah, be, wear the badge. Colossians 1, it says, Paul, Colossians 1 verse 1 and verse 2, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, 2, says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're speaking to these specific people. So if you're speaking to them, it means there are some common terminologies we they used, and there's some things he was trying to correct in them which is not applicable to us. For instance, when you get to chapter 4, he said to speak to what they call the slaves and the servants. You didn't notice? Look at verse chapter 3, verse 22. Colossians 3, verse 22. It says here, servants, some translations say slaves, actually. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Then verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Then says, Master, give unto your servants or your slaves that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in... Now let's be clear. Do we still practice slavery in this age? Do you know, some people could justify slavery because of the scripture. They, in the past, they actually used it a lot. But at this time, it was not referring to... Yeah, the Americans used it for slavery. What many of their movies, they used it to teach. 
Be obedient to your masters. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, listen, he was speaking to a particular set of people who had what were practicing slavery. He didn't endorse, neither did he what rebuke. What did he do? He gave wisdom. If you're a servant, do what you do in the deed of God. If you're a master, make sure you pay a just wage. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that endorse slavery? No. And okay, that's a that's open boy. If you look at First Timothy one verse two, First Timothy chapter one verses one and two. Now the book of Timothy was written to one person and one person alone. You guys are cold. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Father, God our Savior and, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Verse 2 says, Unto Timothy, my son, in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So the book of Timothy was written to what? To an individual called Timothy. Timothy was a leader. He was the head of the church in Ephesus. So, if he was talking to Timothy, doesn't that imply he was talking to leaders? He was talking to a leader in the house. So, if you notice, most of the things he was telling Timothy were instructive things on how to lead. Let no man despise your youth. Talking about how to select leaders. Talking about the authority of the word of God. What it is used for. You know, it was communicated to people they call what? Leaders. Specifically. So listen, if you're a leader of the word of God and you've not read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're joking. Yeah, that's the word. You must and you should read it. It gives the code of conduct of leaders as well. Can we also learn from it? Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? But many things said they were speaking to what Timothy, that is what? A leader in the house of God. So you must always understand. So the audience of the book of Timothy was of the book of Timothy was Timothy himself. Personalized. So when he was saying, as, a, as, a, as from a child, that was known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise unto salvation. Was he talking to us? No. Technically, no. And technically, no, it wasn't. <laughs> as from a child, I didn't know the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> as from a child, I didn't know Jack. <laughs> oh, I, I knew one. Father Abraham. Amen. I am one of them, and so are you. So let us pray the Lord. Right and left and right leg, left leg, turn around. <laughs> That's what I knew as a child. I remember very well. When we get to school, to church, I, it was an Anglican church. I won't say the name, but Anglican church growing up. They take us to the Sunday school, the children's section. That's what we used to do. We sing songs and that I eat biscuits. Or too many parents, you know. So as of a child, I didn't know that. <laughs> not applicable to us. Alright, so don't feel bad if as from a child you didn't know anything too. It was not written to to us. As you are old now, you can know it. Let's look at one more rule. Is it? No. We still have one, two more. Rule of multiple mention. Rule of multiple mention. Someone lost it and strife. Make sure you resolve with your parents. 
Make sure you resolve with people around you. End strife. End strife. Make sure there's no strife. Make sure you end it. Very important. That's a word of knowledge. So, work on that. Rules of multiple mention. All right. So, it is believed, it's a biblical rule, that before you can pass a doctrine in the Bible, it's said that it must have appeared in two or three different places. Before you can approve it as a doctrine. Before you can uphold it as a truth of the word of God. Very important. You must have seen it in what? Two or three different places. If you have not, error. All right. So, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. And it says, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. It says, this is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word be established. They're saying there must be two or three witnesses before a word is what? Established as a law, as a doctrine. The reason why we can oppose salvation through faith in Christ Jesus Christ is because what? We've seen it in different places in the Bible. The Old Testament professes about it. The New Testament Jesus spoke about it. The apostles spoke about it. There were many witnesses across different speakers in the Bible. All right? Matthew 18, verse 16. He said, but if... Matthew 18, verse 16. Matthew 18, verse 16. He said, but if you will not hear thee, take with thee two... Take with thee one or two more, that in the matter of two or three witnesses, every word be established. So he's saying yeah, there was a common tradition there. You needed at least two or three persons to bear witness to a thing before you can actually authenticate it. You get what I'm saying? That is applicable in the Bible as well. Before you can uphold a doctrine, you need, you need what they call the law of multiple mention. It must be mentioned consistently. And to be safe, it is better to be mentioned by any of, maybe one of the apostles, maybe by Jesus, and by the prophets. It's just so safe that at least... One of the apostles talks about that doctrine. Jesus talked about it, and one of the prophets talked about it. Or the prophet talked about it, and the apostles what talked about it. There should be at least two or three witnesses to it. Glory to God. And listen, this is one of the major reasons why there are many false doctrines in the body of Christ to date, till today. No, not mentioning the name, but there's a denomination that we all know that they, till this very day, whenever they go to church, they wear what they call they don't wear any shoes. And what's the basis of their revelation? God told Moses, remove your sandal for what he has what? It's an holy ground. And you know, in, they, they have a legal ground. They said that this was what God said. Remove your... So, listen. Listen. Because God in a certain way doesn't mean that's the way of God. Do you get what I'm saying? Because God walked in a certain way doesn't mean that is the way of God. For instance, God told Moses, uh, Moses strike the rock. The second night God wanted water to come out from a rock, what did he tell him to do? Speak to the rock. But he used the word, the first way, which is what? Strike. If you say God never changes, you're wrong. The way is changed. The first thing, he told the person to do what? Strike the rock. The second time, what did he tell the person? Speak to the rock. Same rock, just what? Same water that was needed, right? The application was different. That was not the way of God. Do you get what I'm saying? So, till there, some people still uphold that thing. God said, move your sandal. So, anywhere, you know, that you consider holy, don't wear any sandal. Ta! Let's, let's move debunk, debunk that. The holiness himself, did, was there ever a place Jesus Christ mentioned, remove your sandal? Was, did Jesus Christ walk into the temple barefoot? 
Sefie, tell them, did Jesus Christ in his almightiness walk into the temple barefoot? Did he ever say his disciples should move their sandals or shoes? It's true. He never said it. He didn't say it. If he had said it, that means that's the true doctrine. I should not be wearing this shoe while I'm here in church. But he didn't say it. He didn't approve it. He didn't deny it. He didn't, rather, he acted otherwise. He wore shoes, he wore sandals. And even, not just even the current generation, even in the Bible, some people fell victim for this as well. Because God worked in a certain way, they made it a constitution. Let's look at 2 Kings 18, verse 3. 2 Kings 18, verse 3. Are you getting something? All right. We're healing the sick and we're raising the dead everywhere we go, everywhere we go. By the Spirit of God, dead bones are rising back up everywhere we go, everywhere we go. This is the move. Okay, teaching. All right. So, 2 Kings 18, verse 3. And where's Jerry? Plenty to come and sit here and see his face. Yes, every time you just see Jerry, bah, it that goes somewhere. Is that is far from the word of God? Is <laughs> a click. Where's Peter Joe? Oh, executive officer. Where's Peter Joe? Come on, your 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 suite is in front. Two of you. Quick, thank you. Second Kings eighteen verse three. Are we there? He says, and he did that which was right in the sight of. He was a king. 2 Kings 18 verse 3, and he did that which was right on the side of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Verse 4 says, and he removed the high places, and he break the images, and cut down the grooves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made, for unto, unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and called it Neustad. Listen, you know what they're talking about here? The time when the children of God rebelled. And God sent serpents, or which it was said God said sent serpents, right? And oh, I said, can't see that, but I said it is said that God sent. So, right? God didn't. Well, I can't see you today, so let's just leave it there. There were serpents. Where's Peter Joe? Okay. All right. I said front, not back. So, front, not back. Uh, see here. Thank you. <laughs> So, <laughs> let me finish my message, please. All right. So, then, you know, God told Moses after he interceded for them, and God told Moses, you know, make carve a, a bronze staff with a serpent around it, right? It, everything is, you know, um, it's a staff and all of that. So, Moses did, and people looked upon it, and they were healed miraculously. And what did they do? Wow. Wow. What an awesome miracle. They kept that staff and they were worshipping the staff and they didn't worship the God again. He said it, they said they, did, they were giving incense to it. That's idolatry. <laughs> and if they could see this one, they could not sit down. <laughs> so they turned the staff to a God. They worshipped it. They bowed down. They, they did all they could do towards it. 
He took another king to what? To break it. Ah, what's going on? Because God worked in a certain way at the time doesn't validate that that is where he is. Amen. All right. Next we will talk on types and shadows. All right. So, rule of history and culture. Are you getting blessed? Okay. Rule of history and culture. Alright. So many are times when the Bible was written, there are certain things you could consider. Remember, they're not written to us, but to some specific people. So it means there were common terminologies that were used in those days that we can't use in this age. Which, for instance, if any small thing, like we say anything COVID, we all understand what COVID is, right? But if you had said COVID 20 years ago, we don't understand. Probably even the next generation, when you mention COVID, they won't understand. For instance, sometimes when our parents are talking about the maybe the 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 what? The Cold War, the Civil War that happened in Tampa, many times we are still very reserved there because we don't know much about it. There are common things that they will say, but which don't we don't relate to because we're not there. So for us to understand their words means we have to know what happened in their time in that particular you know time in history. So let's look at one. Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse seven. Second Corinthians twelve verse seven. So Paul said something here. Second Corinthians twelve verse seven to verse ten. So are we there? 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7. So it says, And lest I should be exalted above measures, through the abundance of revelation that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weaknesses, in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10 says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So, many a times, people, when they read that statement, torn in the flesh, many times we don't get to understand the full context. Some people have actually advertised on it that, you know, the torn in the flesh, that there's a probability that Paul was sick. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, that parameter Paul had a sickness that was tormenting him all through his life. Many times, these were scriptures which they looked at, you know, torn in his flesh, and he begged the Lord to take it away, but God never did, and all of that. But listen, when I was talking about torn in the flesh, I wasn't talking about inf- sickness or infirmities. I know he may be like, oh, he might want to justify infirmities for me because he himself said it. He said, but I'd rather agree in my infirmities. All right, that he said in verse. 10 again. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Do you take pleasure in sickness? <laughs> that could not have been Paul. He could not have meant sickness. So, what could Paul have meant? Now, we're going to look at previous times where, in historic context, the Jews, whenever you mention things like thorn in the flesh or thorn in general, they had, they could relate because of the historic meaning to it. Look at Numbers chapter 33, verse 53. 
So, thorn in the flesh was a common phrase for something. All right. We'll, we'll, get the, we'll get the end when we read the scriptures. So, Numbers 33, verses 53. Numbers 33, verse is 53. And it says, Numbers 33, verses 53. Are you there? All right. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land. So God was telling them, the Israelites, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, and brought therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. And you shall drive the land, and you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more shall be given the more inheritance, and to the fewer shall be given the less inheritance. Every man inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth, according to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. 35 then says, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sights and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. So you can use the word here now. Instead of thorn in the flesh, say thorn in the sight. Similar. All right. Same implication. Thorn in the flesh, thorn in the sight. What's the sight? Your body, right? So it's still thorn in the flesh. Look at Judges chapter 2, verses 1. Judges 2, verses 1. So 3. And it says, And the angel of the Lord came up from Gigal to Bohem and said, I made you go up, go up out of Egypt, and I brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. Verse 3 then says, And you shall make no leagues with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I... Right, verse, verse 3 says, Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. So, God gave them a warning at first. They didn't obey, and what did he say again? The implication. So, when he was talking about them being a thorn to their side, from what is written here, the use of the words here, he's talking about they would be oppressors to them, that was basically what was communicating them. They would oppress them. They would persecute them. They would give them troubles in their land. Do you get what I'm saying? So when I was talking to the Israelites, I said, chase out the inhabitants of the land in the land that I've given you to you. If not, if you do not, there will be what? Thorns in your side, which is thorns in your flesh. That means they will cause you trouble. They will oppress you. They will persecute you. It means they will you first actually because of that, basically. So, the statement was used in that context in the Old Testament. So, when in the New Testament, Paul was saying it, who is a Jew, saying it again, and it says, verse 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, lest I should be exalted above measures through the abundance of revelation. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. When I was saying the thorn in the flesh, it was saying, it, it was given to me persecutions. It was given to me oppressions. It was given to me... Um, troubles 
What troubles? He says that what? The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measures. What are the messengers of Satan? Jesus Christ said, said something like that to the, to, the, to the Pharisees. Your father, the word, the devil. So what are the uh, messengers of the devil here? Those that rejected and opposed the gospel. So Paul was saying that, listen, everywhere I go, I have a thorn in my flesh. What is the thorn in my flesh? I face opposition. I face rejection. Which if you check very well, there was no minister in the New Testament that faced more rejection than, or oppression than Paul. He faced the most opposition. That was Paul. Everywhere he went, he faced what? Opposition. So what was the what was the turn in the flesh he begged the Lord three times to take from him? Let's talk now as a house. What was the turn in the flesh he begged the Lord three times to take from him? The oppression, the oppositions. It was facing, facing everywhere he went. Is that clear? So he was not talking about a sickness. It was not a literal sickness. It was not an infirmity. No, he was talking about God taking away the opposition. It's too much. But what did God tell him? Say, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what God told him. That God didn't take the position of the oppression. God said what? In the oppression, in the persecution, what? My grace is sufficient for you. So when he said, I'm boasting in my infirmities, I'm boasting in what? In the fact that I'm oppressed on every side. Do you get it? For in the oppression, is the son of God being made available. Do you get what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we get that term, right? We won't be able to look much at the others, but I know that there's, there's an historic view of, you know, 1 Timothy 5 verse 23, which says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. So are we saying that Paul was telling Timothy to drink wine? It appeared so. And actually, he did. But he didn't justify it. Rather, he, he, he did it more on a medicinal basis. Why? And I will explain. So now, in Ephesus, as at that time, if you check um, the history and all of that, as at that time, the, the, the water system in Ephesus was polluted. It means they struggled for what they call clean water. So Paul was saying that all this again. He said, drink no longer water. It means this guy, Timothy, was so strict on drinking only water, and the waters were polluted. And because of that, he says, peradventure, this is what is actually causing your stomach troubles. Because he was taking what? Infected waters. And then it is believed that when alcohol, when being fermented, it kills what? The bacteria, the germs, which could cause troubles. All right, and he said a little, so he was even telling him to dilute the wine and take it as a what? As a medicine, not as a drug. So, and even in these present days, we have drugs that if, they, if they've been abused, it can become what? Yeah, now, at least I know of one, codeine. I've heard of it, yeah. It's a normal drug, but if you take it in excess, what happens? So, in that, what did he say? What did he say? AUI. Oh, you, oh, you high. <laughs> nice. So, do you get what I'm saying? So, Timothy was having a stomach trouble. He didn't endorse it, but he just said, take medicine. He was not trying to say, take wine that is good for you. He was saying that we should what? Take medicine for your infirmities. So, you mean to understand the historic view as well. He was not endorsing wine. 
rather in every other places it's what he said contrary to wine do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the he said instead of taking wine be filled with the spirit let's look at one Second Corinthians 13 verse 11. You love this one. You love this one. Second Corinthians 13 verse 11. You, you love this one. If, if anybody says jargons here, here. So let's read. Finally, brethren. Are you there? Second Corinthians 13 verse 11. Finally, brethren, fear well, be perfect, and be of conduct. Be and be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Verse 12 then says, Greet one another with an holy... <laughs> Greet one another with an holy what? Kiss. So you think, oh wow, awesome, beautiful. And let me tell you something. It has love, multiple mention. It's in more than one place. Look at still for, so Corinthians. Second Corinthians, no, First Corinthians 16 verse 20. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 20. Look at what it says here. 20 and 21. Are you there? 1 Corinthians 16, 20 and 21. And it says, All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. Mm. Two places. I like this. The salutation of me and Paul with my own hand. So he said, I wrote this. I said this. Greet one another with an holy what? Kiss. Look at that one. Romans 16, verse 16. <laughs> Romans 16, verse 16. Look at what it says here. Are you there? It says, salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute three places. That's wow, powerful. Love. That's a doctrine. <laughs> but listen. Don't try it here. Only what? If it's only, let's just be like, any that says that, trouble. <laughs> so now listen, in the historic view then, the people we are talking to, there's the custom of what they call the Holy Kiss. I think we still practice it to these dates. It's when you approach a person and you give them a peck on the left, or on the right, or probably on their hand. It's a custom and it's a tradition which they appear there. That was that because, for instance, it's like, let's say the Bible was written by, or Paul was a Yoruba man. How do you think he would have told, them, told us to greet? Make sure you prostrate and tell them, well done. Do you know what I'm saying? That was their culture. That was their custom in those times. So, it was not a dozen case, but that was the mode of communication to the people who, that was their custom. Do you get what I'm saying? So, don't take their custom as our custom. There's no only case anywhere here. Is what? If you want only kids, go and marry. All right. Okay, I'm just. There, there's a lot of first mention as well, rule of first mention. We can't look into it today, but I know it's when you look basically at the first use of a word and it gives you an holistic view of what the words are used constantly in scriptures. For instance, when you look at the first time worship, love, first mention, look at worship. You all better understand what worship is. When you look at the love, first mention of how it was used and how that, when God said um, Abraham should worship, it had nothing to do with songs. So it gives you an view of worship is not just songs. 
Worship has to do with what? A sacrifice. You know, you can use it to understand what they call first mention of sin, first mention of marriage, first mention of serpents, and like that. All right? So, finally, things to note. Reminder on things to note. Reminder on things to note as I wrap up. God's word cannot have more than one interpretation. There's nothing like personal revelation of the scriptures. Then, to note further, even though there's only one interpretation, the explanation can be different. Same thing. God's word cannot have more than one interpretation. There's nothing like personal revelation of the scriptures. Slow down, okay. Sorry. Because I said it before, so I thought there was no need again. God's word cannot have more than one interpretation. Two, there is nothing like personal revelation of the scriptures. Then three, even though there is one interpretation, the explanations can be different. So even though there is one interpretation of the scriptures, I can explain it. People can explain it in different ways, but the message should remain the same. All right, we can't all teach the same way, but the message should be the same. All right. Then also, we can use scriptures for analogies. For instance, I, I know the story of the prodigal son. It's, it's a parable on salvation. However, I could just make an analogy, you know, in my teaching about for adventure, you know, you, you know, um, the love of God, you know, no matter how far gone you are, when God sights you from afar, he just wants to embrace you rather than look at your fault. It's still allowed as long as it's in context. All right, are you able to define that that's not the original interpretation? So, lastly, the Second to the last. The end of interpretation of the scriptures is application. The end of interpretation of the scriptures is the application. You interpret the scriptures so that you can apply the scriptures. How does it relate to us? How does it edify us? How does it encourage us? How does it strengthen us? What lessons do we learn from it? What are the experiences to avoid and things to imitate. You know, we look at all of these things. Then lastly, with all the rules and no reason to eliminate the Holy Spirit in understanding scriptures. With all the rules, there are no reasons to eliminate reasons for the elimination of the Holy Spirit. That means you would always need the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God. You might have all the rules, might be a Bible scholar in terms of the theology, but without the Holy Ghost, you will struggle. That's why today, they are theologians. They understand the Bible, but they don't understand the Bible. Alright? John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Okay, but let me add one more. Most importantly, you should be taught. Huh? My note lowly. Most importantly, you should be taught. That means the best way to really understand the Bible is that someone teaches you the Bible. Most importantly. Most importantly. Because when Jesus Christ, even the disciples, he taught the disciples for 40 days. He didn't say go and read the Bible alone. And even, it even helped them. When, when he left, before he left in John 2, he was talking about the fact that, you know, in three days he would destroy the temple. 
But the Bible now says that it was not until after he died and resurrected that his disciples then remembered that Jesus Christ actually said that, and it was not implying, you know, the physical temple, it was replying what? Him as a temple. So if they didn't hear their teacher, they wouldn't have an understanding of the written word of God. So let's rise up to our feet. I hope you were blessed. Okay. So don't forget, application is important. That which you have heard, that which you have heard of me, among many witnesses, the same what? Commit unto faithful men, which I also be able to teach others also. Thank you so much. Um, let's rest off it. Can you play the keyboard, please? Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Jerry has Jackpot, right? Okay. And Peter Joe. Can we just adore the Lord for all that we have learned so far? If you think you have not understand, you've not understood fully, go over the notes, listen to this message over and over again till you have an holistic view, you have an adequate understanding of all that has been said. And even if you understand, go over it again. Even when you don't understand a thing, guess what? It's still in your heart. Can I share something with you? Many a times, I, I once read the parable of Jesus and I understood something. When I was talking about the parable of the sower. When he was explaining that, he said, the ones that fell by the, is it by the roadside or in the thorns? He said, no, by the roadside. He said something about, they, they, they've been as those that... They heard the word of God, but they didn't understand. Then the wicked one came and took it. So, he said they heard the word, they didn't understand. But it didn't mean the word was not in them. The word was in them, they just didn't understand. Then the wicked one came and took it. Many times the word, even when you don't understand, is in your heart. It's there. You just need to what? Brood of eyes. Listen again. Pray. Clarity comes. Don't just give up on what you understand. When you give up, that's when it's actually taken away. So just adore the Lord for all that you've learned today. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. We know you have been equipped, changed, and transformed by the word. If you have any questions or inquiries, please reach out to us on Instagram at the Zoe Household Lagos or via mail, zoehousehold at gmail.com. God bless you.